Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On January 17th, nine storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Archetype Pizza in downtown York. The theme of our January Story Slam was a time like no other. We heard stories about the birth of a child, shared moments with loved ones, and pre-cell phone era adventures. In the end, we had a tie. Our first winner was Matt McDonnell, with his story of giving an elementary school bully his comeuppance. I'm a large man, and there are benefits that go along with that. I never have to ask somebody else to help me reach something at the grocery store. There, there are downsides to it. If you're short, you've probably never had the rivets in the school bus pull your hair out as you walk down the school bus. But there are benefits that go along with being a large man. And one of the benefits is nobody picks on you. I can walk down the darkest, ugliest alley in York at any time of the night. Nobody's like, yeah, we're going to jump that guy. But it wasn't always the case. Because at one point in time, I was a smaller kid. But before I hit puberty, I was the same size as everybody else, shorter than some of the girls, and I got picked on. I got picked on a lot. I got bullied mercilessly because I didn't fight back. I didn't stand up for myself. I just took it and took it and took it and shoved the emotions down until the one time that was like no other. It was high school, and I had just come off of perhaps one of the worst weeks of my life. I do not remember all of the details, but I know one of my grandparents had died. We had gone up to the funeral. While we were at the funeral, my brother had taken my cat to his trailer, and the cat had escaped. And so now I had no cat. I had no grandmother. It was a horrible, horrible week. And one of the other students who bullied the most often decided that was the day to bully me again. And it was science class, it was biology. I'd come into the class, I'd gone up to turn up some of the paperwork, the homework that I'd done from when I was out and missing work, and I turned it into the bin. And I turned around, and there's Eric, is holding my book bag over top of the biology trash can. It's not a normal trash can. We'd been dissecting frogs that week. So this trash can is full of frog guts and carcasses, the grossest things you can imagine. And he's just got the worst shit-eating grin on his face, and he's just staring at me. And I said, Eric, not today. What are you going to do? I was like, Eric, not today. And a tear starts coming down my eye as I'm going up to him. And he's like, whatever, fatso. And that was the moment when it all just clicked into place. All of the anger and the sadness and the rage and everything that I'd repressed for years. And I remember nothing other than seeing Eric on the floor. And the entire class was just in absolute chaos as the teacher walked in. He hadn't been in the classroom. And this teacher always referred to us by our last names. And he looks down, and he'd been teaching for a while. Nothing phased this guy. He said, what happened to Burns? <laughs> and everybody was silent for a while. And then somebody said, McDonald hit him. <laughs> he says, yeah, right. <laughs> 
<laughs> and he goes back to his desk and he has some other students help Eric get up and you take him to the nurse. And it was at the end of the class period. He says, McDonald, I need you to stay here. I'm like, oh, shit. You know, I've spent my whole life being so good and I've never been sent to the principal's office and I know this is it. I'm in trouble. And he waits until everybody else has left. And he says, did you knock out Burns? I said, yeah, I think I did. Well, he must have deserved it. Go to your next class. <laughs> Matt earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Our second winner was David McVeigh, who shared about the characters he encountered in his role as a public defender. I can assure you that from my perspective, every day I meet somebody who is the dumbest guy in the world, and then the next day I'm unproved wrong. So this is one of those. I was also sort of the office's uh, rabble-rouser and raconteur, and as a result of that, I was appointed to be the head morale officer, and that meant that for the office Christmas party, I could assign, I'd listen to all the people's submissions for, I'll clean it up a little bit, idiot of the year. And anybody who played in the game, policemen, probation officers, judges, lawyers, anybody could be nominated for Idiot of the Year, and then I decided who, who it was, and I announced that at the office Christmas party. So in this particular year, it was already over. We'd had the party. This is January the 2nd. It's 12.35 in the afternoon of the new year, whatever it was, probably 1988 or so, and I'd been at work for four hours and 35 minutes, and I had finished my lunch already, and the secretary says, hey, Mac, there's a, an interview. Go do it. And so I get the affidavit of probable cause, and I read this for a while. And I tell the client, you stay right here and don't move a muscle. And I go into the lunchroom where my colleagues are finishing up lunch, and I said, kids, it's January the 2nd. Nominations are now closed. And by my acclaim, but everybody else's, when you hear their story, you will agree that this guy deserves Idiot of the Year for this year, which is only four hours and 35 minutes old. And they all raised a great ruckus about that. And I said, nope, kids, listen. And here's the facts. Now, this ties in with the VCR, <laughs> which then, in the late 80s, wasn't a very new, it was a very new thing. My client had gone into Jamesway, remember them, up on uh, 83, Valley Green Mall? They're now out of business because of people like my client. <coughs> Pardon me. He had gone there a couple of weeks before Christmas to do a little bit of Christmas retail thefting. And he had committed the perfect crime. This is the 80s. They didn't have surveillance everywhere. Nobody got a good look at him. His car was nondescript, and because there had been some snow that had fallen a week or two before, there was mud all over the license plate. He had committed the perfect crime. He had gotten away with it. He had successfully shoplifted a VCR. Now, you might not remember, but the original VCRs were a good bit bigger than the ones that they eventually turned into. And I don't know whether he got one that was a display model out of the box with all the styrofoam packing, or if he had just gone and grabbed something and scampered off. But regardless, it doesn't matter because he turned the perfect crime into doing time. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're saying, how did he do that? He got away with it. Well, yes, he did. 
He got away with it. He was driving down 83 to come down here behind the post office and fence it. And he got to the Amicsville exit and he looks over at it. Damn it! And he gets back up, turns around, goes north on 83, goes into the James Way to return it because he stole the wrong kind of VCR. He wanted a Sylvania and he had taken an RCA. You can't make this stuff up. If you started me, I would tell more, but I'll just cut it from that right now. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Michelle Daisy, who shared how her father's terminal illness brought her family together for a few final days. In April of 2011, uh, my dad was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. When he was diagnosed, he was diagnosed in stage three, He had started with back pain in January of 2011, um, and after six doctors missed it, um, one finally discovered what it was. Um, At the time, his prognosis was 22 months, uh, best case scenario. Um, Of course, we all cried, we all got upset, and then we all dove into research and uh, figured out what we needed to do to support my dad. And we got him into a whole bunch of specialists, and we found one at University of Maryland Medical Center who um, is one of the world-renowned specialists in that particular type of cancer. And um, he started you know, treatment literally the day after his, his first appointment there. Um, he went through a stem cell transplant. Um, he went through a whole bunch of um, different chemos. One sent him into kidney failure. He bounced back from that. Um, He continued to treat. Uh, He went into three different um, clinical trials while he was at University of Maryland Medical Center, and that bought him a few more years. Um, He got to um, actually a point where he was the fifth person ever to get a full remission from multiple myeloma. Um, which was really incredible, and we never thought that that would actually happen. They told us it wasn't, it wasn't possible when he was diagnosed, um, but they also told us that it wouldn't last, and sure enough, it didn't. So two and a half years after we got that miraculous news and were over the moon excited that we were going to have Dad for a little longer, we found out it was back, and it was back with a vengeance. So he went back into treatment, and then we had a pandemic. Um, Last September, uh, over Labor Day weekend, my dad contracted COVID from somebody who was unvaccinated. And he spent 14 days in the hospital um, where we couldn't see him, we couldn't talk to him, uh, he couldn't move. Um, he should have been on a ventilator, but they, they didn't have any. They were out. Um, they were all being used by other patients. Um, and so he was not expected to make it. We uh, you know, kind of prepared ourselves for the worst. I called every single day. Um, I found that the night shift, uh, for those of, I don't know if anyone here works in healthcare or in a hospital, but I found that on night shift, they actually had time to answer questions and um, talk to me and and let me know how he was doing. So I would check in at one o'clock in the morning and four o'clock in the morning um, for those 14 days. 
And again, my dad, because he is a stubborn, stubborn person, um, <clears throat> managed to pull through. And he came home, and um, we're, we're still not entirely sure how that happened, but he did, and we were over the moon excited. Um, and then he had to delay getting back into chemo treatment uh, because he was still recovering. He was on uh, oxygen until Thanksgiving. Um, he got to the point where he was starting to feel really, really rotten all of the time. Um, and it was a different feeling from the first time that he had the multiple myeloma and even what he was experiencing right before the COVID. And we weren't sure how much was the COVID, uh, res you know, remnants of COVID and how much was his, um, his you know, his cancer kind of running rampant and because he wasn't treating. Um, but he did a whole bunch of tests. Um, we went through the whole, um, you know, went to a whole bunch of specialists again and determined and found out that he actually also, not only did he have multiple myeloma, he also had contracted leukemia. Um, so he had CMML on top of the multiple myeloma. Um, and at that point they told us that there were no viable treatment options left, um, which was heartbreaking um, and you know, you, there's not a whole lot you know what to do with that. You know, somebody who's fought that hard for that long and then to be told there's nothing more we can do for you. Um, and my dad, you know, had wanted to spend as much time with the family as he could. Um, and, you know, he eventually told us that, you know, he had made his peace with not treating. He just wanted whatever time with us he could get. Um, and that his desire was to pass it home um, he, with his family around him. So, and he wanted to make it to Christmas. So um, on December 23rd, he went into the hospital with an infection. Um, we spent several days up and down, a week actually, up and down, not sure if he was going to, if we were ever gonna actually get to bring him home, and we did on New Year's Eve. Um, we spent New Year's Day as a family. We celebrated our Christmas then. Um, and then Dad went into a deep decline. Um, as of Wednesday of that week, all of my siblings moved back into the house with my mom. Um, and we were taking care of him 24-7. And my dad, unfortunately, peacefully passed with the entire family around him on January 9th. But Looking back at it, and I haven't had a whole lot of time to contemplate it because it's still fairly fresh, but um, those days where we were with dad, those last few days, um, was agony in one hand, but it was also the greatest gift he could have given us because there's no way that all of us would have been in that house together for that many hours and that many days and not strangled one another. <laughs> and so we do have a lot of good memories of that time in amongst the, the you know, tragedy that was, that was coming, but it was definitely a time like no other, thank goodness. 
All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return at the end of the season to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York at our Grand Slam. Updates on our events are available on our website, yorkstorieslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter at at YorkStorySlam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you virtually or on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Catherine Roquet. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson.